G'day, my name's Martin Murray and you're listening to the In The Paddock podcast, where we talk all things farming. Welcome to today's Wednesday Tech Talk. Sorry for being a bit silent the last two weeks. I've been a bit busy on the road, uh, do a bit with New South Wales farmers. I was down at the annual conference there last week and just travelling for work the week before that, so it all sort of slipped away from me. Now, I was going to talk to you this week about potassium and its role in cropping and managing your potassium levels and why that's important, but I decided instead to change focus to biosecurity uh, because there's been a fair bit of talk at the moment about foot and mouth disease, lumpy skin disease, African swine fever, varroa mite and half dozen other things that are going on in the world right at the moment. So as we all know, foot and mouth disease is currently in Bali and lumpy skin disease is in Indonesia as well. We've got a varroa mite incursion in New South Wales. So there's a whole heap going on in this space at the moment. And at the end of the day, trying to keep these things out and keep our markets open all comes down to biosecurity. So who is responsible for biosecurity? Well, it's everyone's responsibility. It's a national responsibility, so federal government, monitoring borders, monitoring airports, there's state levels of responsibility, you've got your Department of Primary Industries, LLS, those sort of groups, and then of course you've got your on-farm responsibility, trying to stop things getting onto your farm and trying to contain things within your farm and stopping the transfer of diseases around a paddock. A great example of this is, say, fusarium or verticillium wilt in cotton. The cotton industry has traditionally been very big on that. We've got a lot of soil-borne diseases, as I said, vert, fusarium, black root rot, that travel on um, plant material and soil that can be moved around the paddock or moved from paddock to paddock. So they've gotten very good in the past with come clean, go clean, washing down machinery, vehicles, all that sort of stuff as it goes onto a farm and also washing down machinery as it goes from paddock to paddock. So if there is an issue there, they're keeping it contained in that one paddock. So I'm not really going to get into what's going on at the airports. That's well above me. I'm not in that line of work and far be it from me to tell people at the airport how we should be operating. And won't really touch on the F&D stuff until a little bit at the end because I've been at a few briefings. I've got a few numbers I can go over with you. But mainly, I'm a pragmatist. So, you know, we hear a lot about, well, what about the airports? What about border security? What about the pigs? What about the birds that fly in? What about this? What about that? Well, at the end of the day, you can only control what you can control. You know, we're, we're all actors in this game of life. We're not the bloody director. So we can only control the elements that are within our control And for most of that, us, that is just the farm gate and what happens inside those fences on your own farm. Now, what that means for you is going to be different to what that means to me. It's going to be different to a mixed farmer, to a Northern Territory station, to a pig farm in Victoria, to a chicken farm at Tamworth, to a hemp grower in Tasmania. Shout out to Tim. So all I can really say is a few basics that are out there and might give you a bit of an idea as to where to start in your own process. You know, firstly, if you're a cattle producer, get onto the NLIS database and make sure it's up to date. I know it's a pain in the rear and it's a very clunky system. 
not really user-friendly. Looks like a Excel spreadsheet crossed with a 90s website, but, you know, it's what we've got and we can only do the best we can with the tools that we've got. So if we can make sure that's up to date, make sure that, you know, all the stock that are on your farm are actually listed as on your farm and stock that aren't on your farm aren't listed as on your farm, it makes tracking and tracing a hell of a lot easier if there ever is an outbreak in Australia. The other thing we can do is implement, you know, your biosecurity signs and check-ins. Uh, Someone who put up an explainer on Twitter the other day how to very quickly and easily do a jot form QR code sign-in thing. You um, you create a, a form on jot form and you um, then create a QR code that you link that form to. You then print off that QR code and laminate the old girl and just stick it on the gate and it's fine. It's, it's brilliant. I've now set one up. It's out at my place and... Um, it uh you know it is there to for when truck drivers or fuel delivery or whatever come in and um you know enter and exit the property and of course the other thing you can do is if you're in new south wales you can pick up your biosecurity signs big biosecurity warning sign you stick it on the front gate uh which in itself doesn't actually do much but the extra beauty is there if you catch someone poaching on your block hunting whatever uh then their fines are much bigger because instead of just a simple trespass poaching, which, you know, is a couple of hundred bucks fine, something like that, it becomes uh, that they're in breach of the Biosecurity Act. And when you're in breach of the Biosecurity Act, the penalties are a lot higher. So, you know, that's an extra bit of upside there, a bit of incentive. Uh, so they're two fairly simple things you can do. You know, then you get into your come clean, go clean. Now, whatever that looks like in your operation, again, feedlot, different to a grain farm, the kind of things that you're targeting, but I guess the principles are the same. You know, when a vehicle or machine drives onto your property, uh, you give it a good wash down, you get the uh, high pressure hose out with a bit of farm cleanse and just give her a quick clean and, um, you know, make sure you target those those main problem areas where you're going to have those issues come in, your wheel arches, uh, sort of those lower parts of the car, bull bar, that sort of area where stuff gets jammed in. And, um, you know, possibly implement foot baths, all that sort of stuff. Again, you know, your operation is different to mine. Um, so, you know, do what suits you. The other thing, of course, you can do is you can set up your farm biosecurity plan. You know, if you're a cattle producer or a sheep producer, you would have to have one anyone through um, LPA accreditation. Uh, but, you know, that does need to be updated every 12 months. So now's probably not a bad time to go out there and do that. The other one that you can do is you can go to farmbiosecurity.com.au and get a free farm biosecurity kit, uh, which you know goes through some of the things you should be thinking about, the tools you want to check off, and um, and a few of the the things that you may not have thought about, and give you some ideas on practices that you can implement in your place. I did link to that on Instagram yesterday, so you can go back look at that, and I'll also link to it in the show notes below. So I guess that really gives you a bit of the rundown on some of the basic stuff that you can do on farm, 
to try and protect yourself. And as I said, you know, every farm's different, every industry's different. What's an issue for me isn't an issue for you. So what's an issue for you isn't an issue for me. I, you know, I don't have to worry about um, caged hens and intensive egg production. So, um, you know, the the level of biosecurity there is is much different to, you know, what my cattle are exposed to in the paddock. So I guess I'll just give a quick rundown on some of the things that I've um, I've been able to get access to through just some of the groups that I'm involved with just on this foot and mouth disease outbreak um, in Indonesia and in Bali. So at the moment, the last figures that I saw, there'd been over 400,000 detected cases of foot and mouth disease in um in Indonesia and they had been able to run out and deliver over half a million vaccinations and these vaccinations are about uh, 75% effective Uh, which you know fun side note that 75% um, effective number that comes from studies done in India where foot and mouth disease has been endemic since the mid 1800s so you know we've had a lot of people going back and forth between here and India without an issue occurring so far. So that's, you know, we've got that going for us that um, we have been able to maintain that foot and mouth disease free status um, with regular, regular um, trade and passage of people between, you know, a, a country where it is endemic and us. Now, the other thing you will have seen the news, they have rolled out um, decontamination mats, so basically wet mats that help to decontaminate, you know, footwear as people walk in and walk through. And at, for the most part, a lot of these people are actually a low risk uh, because they're mainly people from Sydney, um, Melbourne, Perth, capital cities that, you know, they've been to Bali, they've had their Bali bender, and they've come home and they're going to go sleep on the couch for a couple of days till that um, cumulative hangover wears off. So the real big risk is people from a rural area going to, you know, an infected nation, coming in contact with an infected animal and then going back to their farm. So drunken ringers trying to ride cattle in Bali is, is my number one risk. But, you know, so it's just something that, As a farmer, you've got to be aware of and, you know, don't put yourself in a position where you may be doing that. I know of a number of people that went to Nepal a few years ago for foot and mouth disease training. And when they came back to Australia, they pretty well did the COVID quarantine. They just booked themselves into a hotel in Sydney and stayed in Sydney for um, two weeks, burn all their clothes before they went back to the farm, uh, just because that the... um, the time that the virus can survive on clothing and stuff is up to 14 days. So they just hang around Sydney for a bit. That's too long for me to be in Sydney, but anyway, I uh, respect the sacrifice. Basically, that's where we're up to. So we've been increasing our border security measures. Uh, They're increasing their screening, increasing their profiling, increasing the amount of sanitation there and doing the best that they can to stop uh, people that are of high risk, you know, coming in 
and, um, you know, trying to just boost awareness in general as to the potential impacts of that disease. And really, now it just comes down to us and, you know, making sure that we have our own procedures in place on farm and in our communities to stop any spread in a in the case of a potential outbreak and make sure that if there is ever an outbreak that we can track and trace it to the best of our ability. And just, you know, remember that the uh, incursion of foot and mouth disease into barley only lifted the risk of a foot and mouth disease outbreak in Australia by about 3%. So we went from about 11% chance of a foot and mouth disease outbreak in Australia in the next five years to a 13% um, chance of a foot and mouth disease outbreak in Australia in the next five years. So the chances are still relatively low. As I said, we've had people moving between here and India for who knows how long and foot and mouth disease is endemic in that country and there hasn't been an issue yet. Now, that's not call for complacency, but just a call for calm and not to panic. And just lastly, I know there's been some talk of foot and mouth disease vaccines. Why don't we have them here? Why aren't we vaccinating our cattle? Yada, yada, yada. Well, that all comes down to trade. See, the thing is, if we've got the vaccines in here and we're vaccinating our cattle uh, to some of our trading partners, that's an indication that we have the disease and therefore they are dropping us as a supplier to them. So there's tiers of status, you know, FMD free without vaccination, FMD free with vaccination, and then your various levels of incursion. I don't really know. I haven't gone into that much detail, but in a nutshell, that's why. So basically, things to remember, you know, government is doing what government does. They're increasing stuff at the border, but we've really got to look at ourselves, look at our on-farm biosecurity plans and come up with measures that we can use to increase on-farm biosecurity and make sure that A, we're not transferring weeds and diseases and pathogens around the neighbourhood or around our farm and B, if there is an outbreak, you know, that we're relatively safe, our areas are relatively safe and that we can track and trace these things to the best of our ability when and if it does occur. So basically that's that's farm biosecurity. Um, as I said, go to farm security, uh, farmbiosecurity.com.au check out their resource kit and um, yeah, see what things you can do to improve the safety of your farming operation. Anyway, until next time, uh, please check out the Instagram, check out the YouTube channel, Facebook page, all of that stuff. I'll be putting up some videos on farm biosecurity on the Facebook page. So um, yeah, check that out. And until next time, keep at it.